18 helps us see continued insight into how God is working with his people to make his name known. Paul, uh, the apostle who meets Jesus on the Damascus road, is instructed that he is going to go and he is going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He's going to go to a lot of different places and go through a lot of different experiences. And one of the struggles in dealing with um, not just a section of Scripture, but we're dealing with the whole book of Acts. We've got to preach through all of it, whether Jim likes it or not, whether we kind of get what it is or not. The Word of God comes to us and says, I, I, want, you to, I want you to deal with this, preacher boy. My, my people need to deal with this. What, well, what's the this? The this is how God works and how God sustains both individuals and communities of faith. The gospel has gone to cities like Jerusalem. It's extended into Samaria. In the book of Acts, it goes all the way up into now what is modern-day Turkey. And time and time again, the apostle Paul goes and he speaks. And the pattern is some hear and respond. Others put them off. And then others want to fight. They resist. They're angry. And what we actually get is an insight into this, this very typical pattern that happens. And then the church, Paul and his companions, or just even the individuals in the church now established in Philippi and Lystra and Antioch and all these different cities, now have to live out what they believe. And one of the most difficult things to actually think about is the ways of God. We call it the mystery of God. How do we share the gospel in such a way that everyone who hears it will respond positively? We have classes on evangelism. And one of the biggest problems with a class on evangelism is it can somehow deceive us into believing that evangelism is um, a technique. Now, I, I get it. Like, we can become more effective communicators of what God has done in our lives. We can become more knowledgeable about who God is, but the one thing I cannot do is I cannot get inside someone else's mind or someone else's heart and make them believe. And the way of God, like there, is mysterious. Same message, gifted communicator. Or, or, or maybe for you, you're not a really gifted communicator, but you really, really, really love the person you're trying to share the good news about Jesus with. And you think your love is going to break down that wall. You think your act of compassion is going to be the key that is going to unlock their heart or their mind into the way of God. And yet, the ways of God are mysterious. A statement that I have made a number of times, and it just keeps me humble, is this. God has never asked me for my opinion about his kingdom. Never once has he said, hey, Jim, listen, I'm wanting to take the, my, my word somewhere, and I, I'm kind of stuck. Could, I, could you help me out? He's never done that. I feel like I spend my entire life, and I'm learning to be more and more grateful for this, 
just like following after him and going where he leads. And even though in those situations, I don't know exactly how it's going to all play out, but I trust him to get me there. And that's kind of how I manage my relationships and um, on a good day. On a bad day, I just get frustrated and angry. On a bad day, I'm, I'm tempted to just, uh, just walk away angry, uh, become sarcastic. Anybody else kind of have that gift? The devil is doing an amazing work. I know the ways of God are mysterious, but the devil has ways too. He doesn't ask me, ask me my, my opinion about his plan, but if he were to ask me, I know that's kind of strange, you know, since I work for God and all, to try to help the devil out. But if, if the devil were to say, hey, how, what do you think I should do to get people to shut their heart, to get people to close their mind, to get people to stop listening or stop seeing spiritual things? Jim, what do you think I should do? In my few years of experience, I would say something like this. I think step number one is if, if you could get them to become more of a private person. I'm not talking introvert, extrovert. I'm talking about like a, a person who has um, walls all around them. So they don't have really a lot of opportunities to hear truth. Um, and, and you can build those walls any way you want, Satan. You can... You can build it through a rough life and, and people that have uh, hurt them or violated them or betrayed a confidence. And then they can just build those walls higher and higher and higher. And then it'll be increasingly difficult to ever get through to them. If you could get like marriages to actually believe that they're in this on their own. And then they begin to shut themselves off and they don't open up their hearts and their families. They don't open up like their experiences. But in the end, they think, I got this. I got this. If you can get like marriages or families to do that. If you could somehow convince a family that, hey, we're a family and what happens in the Johnson household stays in the Johnson household. If you could get families to do that, that's just who we are as Johnsons. Like that would, that would be really, really good, Satan. And not only that, as those walls are going up, if you could somehow convince people, culture, individuals, particularly Christians, keep your like, thoughts to yourself. I never asked you anything. If you could get like Christians to become very aware and then super sensitive about how they're living and what they're saying, so that they even feel awkward saying anything. If you could get a bunch of Christians so afraid of being called judgmental. That in the end we'll just kind of slowly become more um, about us. And um, just afraid of being misunderstood. Like you don't have to like beat us up or send us to prison. You can actually like shut people down. By just making them feel like they're somehow being inappropriate. If you can get, like, like if Satan could just get us to live private lives. And then those of us who know the truth to just feel like, hey, that's our truth. And we probably shouldn't share it. Who are we to share it? Man, the devil could go far. But he hasn't asked me my opinion. 
And actually, now that I think about it, I probably learned those things from him. Or from the word of God that warns against such things. Somehow having relationships that are strong and, and then inoculated from outside influences or voices. And then the word of God, propelled by the spirit of God, that is spoken by the people of God, begins to speak truth into people's lives. And all of a sudden, they become an intruder. They become an interrupter. They don't know about the private walls they're supposed to stay on the other side of. They don't know that we shouldn't be speaking like that. And they walk into a synagogue like you're going to see in Corinth, and they it's not that they don't care. I think I would argue it's because Paul really does care. He cares about the God who called him, and he cares about the God who sent him. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And the Apostle Paul walks into Corinth and goes, I don't think very many people are praising here. And God deserves it. And so I'm going to speak because I've experienced it. And then he goes to the place where everybody goes when they want to hear about the word of God and, and he begins to speak. And th this is the repeated pattern. Patterns are important in the Bible, you know. Like if you want to know how you should act, if you find just one instance of something, then that might not be your cup of tea. But if you see a pattern that happens in the Bible, for example, I, I've never met anybody that said, you know, I was reading Genesis 6 the other day, and so I decided to build a boat. Never met that person. I've never met somebody say, you know, I was reading, I was in uh, Exodus 1 the other day, and so I, I went and actually I talked to the king of Egypt. No. Those things you can just kind of tell. Yeah, that was for, uh, for Noah. That, that was Moses. But these repeated patterns really kind of give us an idea of, of maybe how God has not only worked at one moment in time through one individual to do something amazing, but how God works repeatedly throughout time. And, and this morning, what we see in the book of Acts is a, a, a repeated pattern of how God's people, God's prophets, now hold on to that because we're going to come back at the very end of the message because that's an important piece. God's prophet, when God's prophet comes and speaks, you're actually going to see a very important pattern that happens in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to them. It'll be on the screen. But if you have your own, you can open it up. Paper or phones, I guess. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn it on and then click you version and go to the right text. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 7, Ezekiel is the prophet, okay? Now he's a prophet, which means God has come to Ezekiel. There's no confusion about this. This isn't somebody going, you know, I really feel like this is my calling. No, God came to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, I have a job for you. And then he does some amazing things through the prophet Ezekiel. And beginning in verse 7, God says this, so you son of man... That, that phrase is an important phrase. Um, it is referring to Ezekiel here, not Jesus. Jesus is going to pick up on that. But it is the son of man, you, that are going to be this leader, that are going to share about this judgment that is coming. That's kind of the idea of the smallest son of man. 
Jesus is going to draw from that imagery. But Ezekiel becomes the first one to be described in this way. So you, Ezekiel, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. What's a watchman? We, we don't really have these, at least not in cities anymore. But when you're in Israel... There's these beautiful hills and valleys. And when you would go and to try to set up a city where you and your family and other families would come, you would pick a high ground so that when the enemy would come, you would be looking down on your enemy and you could defend your city well. And then after you made the walls around the city and everything was well protected, you would, you would assign somebody the responsibility to go onto that wall and to look into the valley. It's amazing how far you can see. And you can look into the valley so that you would be able to tell if any army was coming. And that was your responsibility. You're the watchman. And if you see an army coming, then you call out. There's an army coming. And then everybody gets ready for the battle that is going to come. And the watchman is very important for the safety of the city. The city's going to make it in difficult times. You, you, need, you need people that are aware and it seems kind of simple, but when there's a fire, say fire. And what God is describing here for Ezekiel is not, not warning about armies that are advancing, but something that is far more subtle. If only my enemies had spears and swords... I would know, I would know to see, I would know them. They would look so obvious to me, wouldn't they? You know why he's dangerous? Because he's got a knife. That's how you know he's dangerous. And what's happening here is that there are people, they don't have knives and they don't have swords. They're not even like, um, they're not even like making threats. They're, they, they, they're very winsome. They're very deceiving, very cunning. And, and they say stuff so that you, you get to that point in your life where you, you don't even realize you believe something that's not real or true because you've listened to it long enough. And Ezekiel isn't like a watchman of armies. He is a spiritual watchman over the people of Israel because they have strayed from their relationship with God. They are being unfaithful to God. And God sends Ezekiel to stand spiritual watch over the people and to warn them. And so here's what God says. Continuing in verse 7. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth. So it's not Ezekiel just kind of, you know what, I was watching, uh, watching this really good show. I was watching this YouTube thing the other day. And there was something really kind of cool I think people should hear. I'm going to tweet that. That's not what Ezekiel is doing. Like Ezekiel is hearing a word from God. Remember, that prophet piece is huge. And so God says to him, when you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If you say to the wicked, oh, wicked one. By the way, they don't like to be called that. You just don't. Oh, wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak it to warn the wicked, to turn from their way, that wicked person will die in his iniquity. Think, think about it. In the physical world of, of, of knives and shields and guns and swords and all of that, 
Like when an enemy is coming, like whether I want to announce the enemy is coming or not, doesn't save anybody. Well, I don't want to deal with the truth. I don't want to think that the enemy is coming. I just, that is a scary thought that the enemy is coming. Oh, okay. That'll make them go away. And so if I tell you to warn and you do not warn, that wicked person will surely die. In their iniquity continues, but his blood I will require at your hand. So you don't say something, that person will still die. And now I'm going to be looking for you. The prophet called by God, spoken to by God, who says, I'm not saying anything. This helps us understand a little bit what is driving the Apostle Paul. How does he do it? How many of you asked that question? How does he do it? How does he go from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, from struggle to struggle to struggle? Well, I'll tell you why. He knows that he has been called by God. He knows that God has given him a word. And he knows that if he doesn't say something, he's going to have someone else to answer to. Verse 9. But if you warn the wicked to turn from their way and his way, and by the way, her way too. I want to be very inclusive. There are lots of wicked women as well. I want to make sure we're aware of that. Lots of wicked, maybe even more wicked men than wicked women, I think, okay? Just for the record, I think there's more wicked men than wicked women. Lots of wicked women. Wicked people, okay? If you warned the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, and it's not about your technique, and it's not about how much you care, and it's not about how many times you've told them, they're just not going to turn. That person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. That's the role of the prophet. There is a danger that is coming. You need to say something. I have called you. I've given you the words to speak. You need to say something. Jesus picks this theme up for his disciples. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Remember, we're looking for a pattern. Watchman, spiritual watchman, Ezekiel, warn the people that a judgment is coming. And by the way, that spiritual struggle that Israel is having is actually going to have a physical reality. Now we see in the land of Israel, Jesus pulls his disciples in. He trains them up and then he sends them out. He gives them, he calls them, much like Ezekiel the prophet. He trains them, he gives them the words to say, and then he sends them out to the people of Israel. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 8, Jesus says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, man, so good to see you. Come on in. We're so glad that you're here. We want to know what good news and hospitality in towns like this, when they don't have like a Motel 6 or like a, you know, a Marriott, they don't have that. Like to, to, to not be hospitable to, peop, to travelers is, is not a good reputation to have. If you remember, a lot of Old Testament stories deal with cities that are or are not hospitable. Jesus sends them out knowing this. Whenever you enter into a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a city or town, and they do not receive you, meaning that they don't want to have anything to do with you. Like, they don't, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear another word. I don't like what you're saying. I think you're judgmental. I think you're rude. And they do not receive you. Go into its streets and say, 
Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Huh. They love uh, visual images to kind of tell the story. And the idea goes something like this. When God comes in judgment and he judges this town that sits in this ground, that even the dust that we walk in is going to be burned up. I'm wearing some of that dust right now. It's on the corner of my garment. It's on the bottom of my feet. And so they would symbolically take their sandal and shake it off. I don't want this coming with me because God's judging it. I don't want, and they, I do not want any of this on me because when God comes and judges, I don't want that which is going to burn to be sticking to me. And they're doing that as a sign that says this. I've told you everything I could tell you. I've shown you how much God cares for you to give you this truth. And I've warned you. And now you don't want any part of it. And so I'm going to leave. Hmm. See, that's the million dollar question. Should I stay or should I go? When to walk away and when to stay. Jesus goes on to say at the very end of verse 11 and then in verse 12, listen to this. He says to his disciples, so shake off the dust. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Later on, Jesus is going to make some very bold statements to the towns in which he did many miracles. And woe to you, Chorazan and Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. If, 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 if I had gone and I'd preached in places like Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. That city would have, those cities would have been stayed, would stay here till this day. And it'll be more bearable for them in judgment than you. Yeah, more bearable for Sodom than those people who heard the good news that the kingdom has come, the good news that God is, in move, God is in move, moving in the world through Jesus Christ, that amazing, powerful good news that has transformed us, that we so desire to transform other people, that when it is rejected, sometimes there is a time to stay, and then sometimes it's appropriate to walk away. See the pattern? And Ezekiel wasn't the first one. And Jesus says it to the disciples. And then Paul has been kind of modeling this, but we see it really modeled here in Acts 18. When to walk. And, and by the way, when I say when to walk away, I, I don't mean like, oh, I'm so tired of you. I just, I, I'm sick of this. C can, you, can you hear the anger in my voice? Like, I can't do this anymore. You know what? You don't deserve this anyway. You know what? I'm glad you... No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Easy, easy, easy. What is going on inside of you? Well, I'm just sick of it. I'm, I, they, don't, they don't seem to care, and it's not worth my time. The American church and our fascination with efficiency, 
I, I read books or I hear about pastors that talk about, you know, we only have so many days and we only have so many hours and we only have so many opportunities and we really need to calculate and to figure out and to make sure that we're making the most of our time and making the most of our time, you know, and golfing when we need to golf too, but and making the most of our time as church members and making the most of our time. They, they really have reduced this when to walk and when to, when to stay into some kind of efficiency quotient, but the Bible usually doesn't talk about efficiency. It talks about faithfulness. It doesn't say, well, you really need to move on because guess how many lost people there are. No, you never read that in the Bible. I called you to Corinth. You be faithful everywhere you go, Paul. Do you understand me? Yes, Lord. And he goes to the synagogue and he speaks. And he speaks and he speaks and he speaks and he speaks. How long, O oh Lord? When can I, when am I done? So the kind of walking away, this is interesting. Paul seems to walk away in peace. Now listen, not, not, that, not, not, not happy, but he walks away knowing, okay, like I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And, and there is a peace. Not that everything is fine. I've done what I can do. I don't meet a lot of Christians that have that peace. I really don't. I don't mean a lot of Christians. I know that they're angry. I hope you get what you deserve. I'm tired of it. I, I deserve better than this. I know that one. Okay? But what Paul seems to be doing is, I've come and I've, I've done what I... No, hear me, I'm not talking like passive. So it's hard to get his voice down. I mean, he's, he's passionate. Paul says that if he could die for these people and they could be saved, he would do it. But he's not Jesus. So him dying is not going to save them. Only Jesus can do that. That's a good reminder. But Paul goes, I've done everything I can do. And there is a sense of peace when he steps back and away. Isn't that interesting? There's a sense of peace. Look at the text. Acts 18, beginning in verse 4, and just through 4 through 6. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks and when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ, that the Messiah was Jesus. That, that's what his message is. His message isn't, you guys could be nicer. His message isn't, hey, have you thought about? His message is, Jesus is the Messiah. That's the good news. Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. The kingdom is here. It's very similar to Luke 10. The Messiah has come. And when they opposed and reviled him, those are two very interesting words. To oppose is to like literally to like set up against. Like um, it's, it's, it's got more grit. It's not just, yeah, whoa. No, it's, they're not just opposing like passively. They're attacking. And they reviled him. The word, you'll be able to hear it in the English. It's blasphemeo. Blaspheme. As Paul is sharing the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, they are opposing him aggressively and they are blaspheming him, and particularly Jesus. That's interesting. I don't think Paul is so much taking it personally as he is realizing, okay, I, I, I don't know what else I can do here. I have said that all that needs to be said time for me to go. And he wipes it off. He uses this phrase again that will come up in Acts chapter 20. 
I am innocent of all men's blood. I'm innocent. He says that to some elders in Ephesus, saying, I have spoken the truth. There's nothing more that I can do. If you've been coming to this church for years and you have heard from me and from many others who Jesus Christ is and that you've got a sin problem and that Jesus Christ is the only way and that God loves you so much Jesus died on the cross for you and he gave proof of this by being raised from the dead and he has ascended to heaven and he's... How many of you heard this before? Have you heard this? Okay. Then there is a sense in which like, I don't know what else I can say. Paul's there. I know what you're doing right now. Like you're, you're, you're like going through your mind and, and, and you're not seeing anybody in Corinth. You're thinking of somebody, aren't you? You got somebody, don't you? When to walk away and leave in peace. He actually says that, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. By the way, guess where he's going to go? Did you notice in the text? I love this. He went and he moved in to the house beside the synagogue. (laughs) I can still hear him preaching. You know what I mean? There he is. You know, synagogue prayers are happening. And then you hear Paul and Jesus is the Messiah. You know, there in the synagogue reading from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's Paul. Yeah, that's the Messiah, right? It's interesting. Notice the location. He walks away in peace, and he moves in. This is why it's so interesting. God, the the mystery ways of God. God in his wonderful hand. Luke loves to describe this. In the year of Caesar Augustus, a census was called. So Mary and Joseph end up going back to Bethlehem. God's orchestrating it all. Claudius in the year 49 throws all the Jews out of Rome. Why? I don't know. One reason why is Paul needs some friends in Corinth. And he meets Aquila and Priscilla who just happen, right? Happen to be of the same trade as Paul. He moves in with them. The church begins establishing their house. They go back to Rome, by the way, by the time the story is done. But here Paul is with Priscilla and Aquila and the church begins to grow instead of three Sabbaths like Thessalonica and then Paul is on the move again. No, he's going to stay here for a while. I don't get any sense. Like, hear me, there's, there's emotion in this. But he doesn't seem to be like just like mad, give up on them. But he moves on. When to stay, and here's what's interesting, when to stay and continue the struggle. <laughs> Is it just me? I, I sometimes, when I'm supposed to walk away, I, I don't, and I continue to struggle. And then there are other instances where I'm supposed to stay And while I'm staying, man, I just want to walk away. I get it all backwards. And hear me, when I talk about give up, this isn't in the context of like church discipline. It's not that kind of a give up, but, and it seems like I have got it backwards so many times. And yet God's word is rather clear on the responsibilities that are given to us. When to stay, And to continue in the struggle. Here's how Luke records it. Continuing in verse 7. 
And he left there, the synagogue, and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. Now there's a Roman name, Titus Justus. A worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed. And the synagogue's, by the way, going to need a new ruler. In the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. This is not efficiency. This is God's faithfulness in motion. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Do you know who you tell to not be afraid? People who are scared. Paul, do not be afraid. Yeah, I know. Why? What? Interesting that we don't have a lot of Paul being afraid. We have him getting beat up almost in every place he goes. And here, for some reason, God says to him, I don't want you to be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. You, you have to wonder, was he, even in the midst of this, like confused or struggling with the way of God? I mean, Luke writes this like it's all happening, like all this happened in one afternoon. God very seldom, if ever, works like that. And God appears to him to strengthen him, and he actually says, Do not be afraid, continue to speak, do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months. Here and in Corinth, besides when Paul's in prison, here and and in Ephesus are the two places where Paul spends a lengthy amount of time. Um, Drew Moss a few weeks ago was preaching and he noticed that whenever there was like advancement uh, or like attacking, like where they're like intruding and causing problems, Paul stays longer. It, it looks like what's probably happening in Corinth, if you can add the material that Paul writes to, the, to that church, man, they were a mess. <laughs> Talking about staying in the struggle, Paul gives up, listen to this, Paul gives up on his Jewish brothers and sisters. People that would have like ate like him and thought like him and prayed like him. And he settles in with a bunch of people that are really messed up who are pagan at best. Who don't have the same sexual ethic as Paul. Who don't have the same diet as Paul. Who don't have anything familiar. Well, no, they do have this faith in Jesus Christ. And that is more than enough. The Apostle Paul seems to stay where there is immense struggle with adversaries, enemies. And Paul seems to stay and struggle with people who are willing to respond. Yeah, it amazes me how often I can give up on people who are just hard like I, if I have to say this one, I'm talking about my kids. If I have to say this one more time, and then there are other people I don't even know if they're listening, and I I can stay all day long, especially if they're nice to me. The Bible gives this incredible pattern. I'm not asking you to. There'll be a moment here where we're going to move to like more directly right into a time of application. But right now, we're wanting to learn that there is this 
I've said everything that I could say. I, I, need you to, I need you to get the severity of your not willing to listen. I need you to see me shake the dust off of my garments. I need you to see me rinse off my shoes so you get how serious this is. And then there are other times for a year and a half, and Paul's going to write, we have two, but we know he writes four letters, and it is just struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle. Paul says in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this, bear with one another. <laughs> you know how hard that is? Paul says in that same letter to the Ephesian church, forgive one another in Christ as God has forgiven you. I can't, I can't go anywhere. Yeah, I, I know it's hard, and at times it looks like they're not listening, but I think they're listening. Some, sometimes I, I wonder if you guys are listening. And I'm here preaching the same words Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I just have to wonder, like, is anybody listening? And then she says to me, hey, it's like she was reading my mail. Hey, um, I know you wonder sometimes if, if anybody's listening. I've never said this, but it's been eight years and God is speaking to me. Like God, is, God is getting through to me. Man, I'm so glad he's, you're telling me this because I could have never tell. I could never tell. And this is the pattern that we see in the Bible. I said we would deal with this issue about, about prophets again. You, you need to be careful when we try to apply this important rule about when to walk away and when to stay. It's, it's so important. I had a number of conversations after first service because like, you see a face and you care deeply about the struggle that they are going through. Be careful, like pretending you're Ezekiel if you're not. Pretending acting like you're Noah when you're, when you're not. Like God makes it very clear to people like Ezekiel and to people like Jonah and to people like Paul and to Peter. He makes it very clear. They're not, Paul's not confused about what he should do. And I, I really think we need to be careful as a church reading a text like this and going, yeah, that's me, I'm Ezekiel. No, you probably aren't. Truly, you probably aren't. So are you telling me I don't have to apply any of that? No, 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 no. I think this is the beauty of how God works. Is he hasn't, God has not given me the responsibility of the church of America. <laughs> Nope, he knows I couldn't handle it. <laughs> and for some reason, in his mysterious way, he has not given me that responsibility. So although I genuinely feel like I could fix them with my Twitter or Facebook account, and with the internet, he's not given me that task. I, I, I don't need to overextend myself. I would even argue you might not need to as well. But he gave me her. 
and me to her. And he gave us a family, so I know to be a watchman. He's given me a city to live in, and I know to be a watchman. He's given me good friends. I need to be a watchman. Isn't it amazing how we can know? God in his wisdom and in his kindness gives people opportunities and, and his guidance and his direction and his word so that we can speak the truth so that they can know what's, what's coming. I want to close with this last thought. Too often when Christian people think about this, all they think about is the judgment. No, no, let's go back to the synagogue. Paul doesn't walk into the synagogue and say, hey, I hope you know God's going to kill you all. What does he preach? Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Now, by the way, you don't listen to this, there's a judgment coming. But sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we are stuck. And our responsibility, we think, is to get people to clean up their lives. Get, get people to, to kind of to, to act the right way, to act a Christian way. To... No, that's not our responsibility. We're not in sin management. We're in Jesus' proclamation business. Do you get that? Like our responsibility is to tell people, tell everyone the good news about who Jesus Christ is. Like, it is not our responsibility to convict everyone of sin. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Quit trying to do his job. What do we do? We proclaim boldly who Jesus Christ is. And trust God to work that out. See, then we can walk away from a situation knowing that when we walk away, God will still be there. And we know how to stay involved in a very difficult situation because we know that God is here. So don't quit when God is telling you to stay. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. 70 times 7, which is another way of saying, why are you counting? And for some of us, it's time to let it go. And I don't mean walk away. I mean trust God with what you've said and what he is doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and kindness to us in Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him and in him alone. And Father, we pray that you would be the one that would guide our thoughts, that you would be the one that would strengthen us, and that you would be the one that, Father, would help us see Help us see what to say and when. Father, it looks so straightforward in Acts. It just gets really confusing when I go home. It can look so easy in someone else's life, and yet, man, at work, it's so difficult to know. And therefore, I pray that you would give us the discernment and the wisdom to know what and when and how to speak, trusting you in all things. And all God's people said...